This episode of the Doctors of Running podcast is sponsored by our friends at Running Warehouse. For this year's Earth Day, Running Warehouse is celebrating by amplifying sustainable styles from all your favorite brands. We've been loving the Nike Dry Fit and Saucony Outpace shorts, which have been comfortable, super breathable options for spring running. We're also big fans of brands like Jonji and Patagonia, which not only make excellent apparel, but also pivot some of their sales towards environmental causes. Check out the sustainable styles today. Not only will you look good, but you also feel good knowing you're running sustainably. To find the collection, visit the link in our description or head straight to runningwarehouse.com. Hey everyone, welcome to the Doctors Running Podcast, where we, a group of doctors of physical therapy, talk about the art and the science of the things that we're putting on our feet. Today, I am very honored to have both Dr. Jem Sumner and Dr. Evan Day join us from Brooks Running and take some time out of their busy week on a Sunday night to come talk with us and geek out and geek out not just on shoes, but biomechanics and all kinds of stuff that we're going to talk about. So, Jen, Evan, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Oh, thanks, thanks for having us. Awesome. So I really want to introduce both of you. And if you could give me a little background, I'm I'm going to try my best, but you're probably going to have to correct me for me pulling stuff from your LinkedIn accounts and doing some background research. Um, but I just want to introduce you to um, both of them are phenomenal PhDs and researchers um, that have had pretty cool careers and then coming up to Brooks running, both coming from different areas, which I did not realize first before Brooks. Um, Jen did her master's at University of Michigan, did her PhD at University of Calgary with Ben O'Nig, which is pretty sweet. Um, and we got to geek out a little bit about that when you two were nice enough to have me up and entertain me while I ask you a billion questions up at Brooks a couple a month ago. Um, Evan is a did his master's at Iowa State University. He did his PhD at University of Oregon, which is pretty sweet. Um, and then you both have now moved on to Brooks. And Jen, please correct me if I'm wrong. You are the director of run research. Evan, you are the manager of run performance. Can you tell us, did I miss anything, anything you would like to expand on about your journeys of how you got to Brooks? Yeah. Um, yeah. You mentioned telling a little bit how you ended up in kind of this avenue of a career as well. So I, was, I always go back and think of like, how did I end up back into back into here? Uh, the first pitch I was actually getting into like the injury space uh, was a sports med program I did in high school for two years, which was phenomenal um, in Northern California where I grew up. And my brother was blind. Uh, my brother passed away. So he was blind throughout his whole life. And I was uh, always generally around having to deal with the physical um, disability that impacted his way of living. And it translated to me more into an injury space and interest kind of throughout life. And especially in an athlete scope where it really impacts part of your identity and, and how you're showing up and what you get to do and what you love. And I kind of always came from it from that angle, um, just kind of switched how I focused on it. I focused on ergonomics through my undergrad in engineering in workplace design to prevent injury. I was coming from more of the prevention space. My master's at Michigan, as you mentioned, I was more coming from the treatment space. It was doing tissue engineering to help nerve replacement for nerve damage um, and missed humans. I kind of did a lot with rats in that stage and I kind of wanted to come back to talking to people again. Uh, and that's when I worked for Benno. I went to Benno. I worked with him and at his consulting company for a few years before I did my um, training with him through my doctorate. And that's where I really got into performance gear. He, his consulting company did everything from hockey, hockey gear to road bicycles to running shoes to neuropathy mats. It was really the whole gambit. 
Um, and I enjoyed getting to see a lot of very applied product in the space of performance and a wide range of applications from there. And so decided to stay and do my PhD with him. And then when luckily was able to get into the industry, it is a kind of a small space to enter to work directly within industry. So I got pretty fortunate there and did a year and a half or so at New Balance before now I've been at Brooks for about six years. I'd say that's my like four and a half minute spiel of career group. That was perfect. <laughs> I need to learn how to do that to be that succinct. That was awesome. My students would thank you. Evan, what about you? Uh, yeah, nailed it off the head. I mean, I've I've been a runner since day one. I've always loved it. Um, just since middle school, you know, put on spikes, racing friends, all that type of thing. Just made me fall in love in classic. Uh, you know, got the tibial stress fracture, lost a season, had a sports med doc I didn't really like, and that got me really curious in how the human body functions and everything of that sort. So I thought I was going to go the clinical route. Um, and, you know, human body interested focus there. So starting a kinesiology program and... I didn't even know biomechanics existed when I started undergrad. Uh, this is circa, what, 2009. And so, like, the only sports med thing you could really find is, like, Ross Tucker's website uh, back in the day. And, like, it was the only thing out there back then. And great information, but the only thing. And sure enough, you know, I saw the flyer get paid 10 bucks, come run around in the lab for 45 minutes. I'm like, done deal. And uh, one of the graduate students at the time... Uh, super gracious with just like me being able to ask all the questions, learn all this was like, wait, you're studying running like professionally? Like what, what is this type of thing? And the light bulb went off then. I was like, oh, you can actually like be on the front end of asking the questions and no, not like in the clinic uh, applying it. And so fell in love immediately. Um, had an amazing time there with Dr. Jason Gillette as my master's advisor, uh, really set me up with a lot of tools and just really, really formed me in the early years. And then yeah, I found myself going right over to Oregon to work with Dr. Mike Hahn there and quite phenomenal for you to say the least. Uh, it was it was incredible there with him as well. And then, yeah, short stint at Adidas after that and did the entire flip and did basketball footwear actually for half a year, which was all of a sudden like, what is this cutting movement and these powerful jumps? I have to think about how a footwear interacts with the human body during these and what is traction and all that uh, type of fun problems. And that's a really fun one though, really being able to get like the engineering skills, like living with mechanical testing and really with all like the force displacement graphs and everything. And uh, once that contract wrapped up, found myself coming up here to Brooks and it's been three years since then. So it's been, it's been an awesome one, but I always knew I wanted to get into the footwear for sure. Yep. To say the least. That's awesome. That's great. I'm going to ask an off topic question for of both of you. What is a hidden skill or ability that our listeners might not know about you that you would like to share? Oh, man. Pro- professionally or just like in general? No, just in general. Just in general. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, 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 we'll go easy. I like to shred heavy metal on that guitar right there. How about that? that is yeah, true. that's yeah. what I was going yeah. with. Yeah, yeah that's not, that's I was, easy I was creeping on Evan's on the wall. Yeah, heavy metal, done deal. I was creeping on Evan's uh, Instagram page, being like, "That's a lot of metal." Yes, it is. He's a pretty solid guitarist. <laughs> yeah. so I connected with Evan on Instagram. I was like, "I did not know this about you." <laughs> Does he whip that out at, at work occasionally, no. like as you guys are testing like, people, see what happens with the? <laughs> that that was going to be in his personality. It was pretty sweet. I like it. That's good. 
Jen, what about you? Um, my skill, this is like my 80 year old spirit that will come through. I'm like a really avid scrapbooker. So I could scrapbook the crap out of anything and make you a really good lifelong memento. Um, so I'm like, our downstairs is filled with scrapbooks that I still look at regularly. That's but awesome. My husband did try to make one and his was pretty poor. So I'm like, okay, I think I'll talk that. <laughs> so a little not judgmental just, scrapbooker not too. Not just everyone can do this. <laughs> It is a skill. It's very true. So we have a scrapbooker and a heavy metal guitarist <laughs> right. coming and joining us yeah. to talk about Works biomechanics. Very well but, <laughs> yeah. So we, you two are very kind to give me a bunch of time, and I actually got in trouble uh, for sticking around when I was supposed to be at some uh, <laughs> meeting with everybody else. Um, but it was so fun to geek out. I have to just commend both of you on your work, and as well, the lab that you have makes me uh, both – I, it, it's incredible. I'm also a little jealous as I'm dealing with the side effects of not having an instrumented treadmill and having to do running across ground force plate. So I, I love what you guys have. It's phenomenal. I'm curious if you could help because a lot of people when they're in the running, like they're runners running space. I don't know if people realize how involved developing a shoe is. And for that reason, could you both give a little insight for our listeners into what does it mean to be a running footwear biomechanist and researcher? What does that look like? Efren and I were just talking about this yeah. as we were getting ready to come on because it was like, what do we think, you know, what would be nice for people to understand more? And I was saying more like I, social media, I find like I'm such an emotional person. You'll read comments on social media and it'll be like, oh, they didn't care about anything when they built this. And it was like, man. I wish you knew how many hands touched that shoe. There was so many bears. <laughs> Literally so, like a group of people's people baby. Yeah. That you're, yeah. Building that thing. Um, but it is, it's a lot. It's an extremely collaborative process to build. Uh, we'll stick within the running product where we live, but extremely collaborative. Everything from your kind of core units that work on it, from your developer, your product line manager, the designer, us as biomechanists, assisting and supporting through the scope of human movement, um, but that's just even on the build side, you, you go through to actually getting it out to market um, and going through sales and going through everything else. It's just insane how much goes into one shoe to have its space and, and communicate it to the runner in a way that resonates with them, communicate it to different communities, whether it's clinical as well, and what resonates with them, which is different than what resonates with your average runner. Um, so just the amount of the amount of thoughtfulness that really goes into each product is really astounding. Um, and the amount of collaboration that's needed to get there is really, it's really fun. That's the part that I love most about being in industry is just the things you think about all day long are definitely not the things the person next to you is thinking about all day long. And how do you bring your brain spaces together to, to get that to come out? So um, I know that was answering your specific start question. You were talking about the lab, but I was like, I went way into yeah. the whole, the whole <laughs> that's, of everything. That's okay. Shoot. So what I'm hearing is that be, as a biomechanist, probably one of the biggest thing is being a, lar- a member of a large team, right? Learning to work together. Yeah. Evan? Yeah, that, I'd say that's yeah. definitely the biggest thing. Um, it's more than just like shoes showing up at your desk, test some hand and report card out. Uh, we're collaborating the entire way across. Like when a product line manager is writing a brief for the next season of a shoe, You know, we're handing off like, hey, here's our opinion on shoes on the market right now. Here's what we learned from testing last season. Here's where, you know, we think these opportunities could come. Here is new insights we did analyzing old data that we learned about runners. And really, you know, getting all this information on how shoes will biomechanically affect someone or how someone can have that fit, feel, right interaction with the shoe to really maximize it for what that shoe needs to achieve. 
Um, and so we're really involved in like the conceptual side. Um, just again, being a voice in the room, not driving, but always having that collaboration of really helping set a path. And then, yeah, down to like what I like to call functional design. You know, I'm looking over 2D blueprints all the time, 3D renders of shoes, looking at like little geometries of how a shoe is going to collapse in some point or bend in a certain spot and thinking about how is that person going to be interacting with that shoe. And no, that's ultimately what we test and get feedback on. And then to Jen's point, we also then work with marketing and help go all the way to sales, which is what you, know, you had the pleasure of seeing um, when you were up at HQ and everything too. And so it's really fun. It's a lot of like the nitty gritty science, but a lot of like the big level collaboration with a lot of people and everyone touching the shoe as well, which is, it's, it's a great process. It's a fun spot. Yeah. yeah. One, one comment that just took, stood out to me is you mentioned that you are both looking at trends currently you're looking at previous data and you're also projecting so you have to do a current your current past and future all at the same time looking at what and integrating all those at the same time yep yeah so that's a, that sounds like a lot to handle all at once and yep. you do it for shoes a season that have several iterations each time and your brain switches between each of those shoes constantly it's you're you're thinking about shoes a lot yeah yeah. So what does a, a daily or weekly agenda look like for two of you? If you could say that, unless there's big secrets that we can't talk about, but yeah, we'd probably be a little different with Evan and I do day to day. Evan's definitely in it, um, on the product build pretty heavily. I've, I've become a little more, um, removed in the director role. Mine will be often more scoping, uh, through research in addition to like products that's understanding the immediate reaction of a product or how that's influencing movement to just how we understand movement. What is our scope of what is run signature and how's that growing and how are we getting out of a lab space and, and not just depending on what we can do in a lab in Seattle. <clears throat> so I think a lot of my headspace is usually in there and piecing it all together. Why, why are we working on this right now? Why are we working on this thing that's three years from now and understanding human movement? How does it fit into any product that we're building and what's the market doing as well? So I'll be in more of those types of heavy, I'm like heavier meetings day to day. And the topic range is pretty wide just from the breadth of research that we're, we're covering as well. I mean, I didn't see yeah, more in it day to day with the product teams, I'd say. Yeah. 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 I'd say I'd say probably a layer below that. So like right now I'm not in data collections anymore, but you know, kind of overseeing again, that inline side of the data collections, but more so what do we do with our data? So, you know, getting a lot of kind of the direction from Jen on where the business really wants to go. Um, then trying to map out, you know, what questions do we want to ask and kind of a lot of thinking of like, all right, how are we applying some of these questions or what new methods can we use to ask about cushion shoes and how does our ghost differ from our glycerin from our trace? And then how are those uniquely different from our speed shoes from our max to our tempo to our launch? And you know, what unique benefits can we give to the runner with all these different products? Um, with kind of that key thing being like each shoe should serve a purpose and part of that should be biomechanics and what unique thing can and can really come through. Um, so I say yeah, a lot more down in the the nitty gritty of uh, the science questions for sure. Uh, but the, the big thing I would say about like the teams themselves, like the researchers, uh, it kind of, I want to say ride the roller coaster of the, the go to market cycle of where, where a product is in the calendar. Um, so like, you know, when a product comes in, we collect a lot of data very quickly. We always like to joke we do a, a master's thesis in about three and a half or four weeks because um, a shoe comes in and you have 
about two weeks to get 10 to 15 people through the lab, process all the data, analyze it, loop up with your perception researcher, figure out this like POV on the shoe. Is it performing well? Is it performing not? What's your clear message? And share that to the team. And that's three and a half weeks. And so that happens five to six times a year, um, probably. And so it's very intensive, the amount of data we collect. Um, but then that also gives us a lot of data in-house we're sitting on right now. And so we go back through it and analyze old data with new methods, a fair amount, or just new questions or, yeah, you know, just kind of really utilizing what we have. And so that's a big part of the other chunk of time. And then the collaboration side is the other big thing. Um, you know, if we're in a design phase, we're meeting with teams pretty frequently or we're coming out of a testing around for the month after and we're meeting with teams pretty frequently. So I'd say yeah, the collaboration, testing, or reanalyzing is the main three pillars, you could yeah. say. Yeah. So, site, you know, so Jen, you're out, you're planning going, hey, what's this look like? And for anybody that knows someone in the footwear industry that's in this, if you ask them, hey, this new shoe just came out. To them, that's an old shoe. They're like, wait, hasn't that been out? Like, no, that's you guys are working on three years from now. It that's how long this process takes. So again, these be be not, you know, I tried to be nice, and everyone was like, hey, you should be more critical in your reviews. <laughs> and so I was like, all right, you, you did you did <laughs> so a good job really kind of our products. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. There's stuff I hey, you know, I I felt kind of like Evan. I was like typing it out like Evan said, be <laughs> someone's. <laughs> This is someone's baby that I am just ripping to shreds, but that's fine. That's okay. This is another different shoe I really, really like. Um, and I know you've worked on so the newest version of that. That looks like really cool. Um, and I'm sure you're working on version five now. But yeah, this it's just funny that how much planning goes into that. And that, but what I think one of the things that I didn't understand as well is that even though you're planning three years in the future, you've still got things that come through day to day. They're like, oh gosh, we have to do this now because even we only have a limited time to understand how this works, how this is being perceived, to get this into what we're already, that's already underway. So I'm guessing you're never uh, bored then. <laughs> nope. No, <laughs> yeah, that, that definitely switches back to switching your brain back on and on in time spaces because by the time we finish it in-house, it's at least another year before it goes to market. And then when it goes to market, questions right. come from accounts and you're like having to flash your brain back to a year ago. Right. What was that one doing then? And it very important how well you document all of your findings. Something I forgot to mention, obviously, in our day-to-day, uh, Evan and I are both people managers. You know, we have a pretty big team at Brooks. There's 25 of us on Run Research. And and for us, there's a lot of brain space that goes into growing people's careers and wanting to know how they want to develop within the brand. We have three specialties on the team. So how does it look like for them growing within that specialty? And how do their skills and interests align with the brand needs? So there's definitely, like, a good portion of our days in the headspace of people in addition to what we do within the product space and, and planning and research. Obviously. Got it. That's really cool. So you both touched on this, but I think I want to dive into this and I'm going to be, I'm going to make fun of Jen just a little bit. Cause before we came on, we were talking about um, like the process of going through PhD. Cause I'm in my method section right now and banging my head against the wall. And one of our other uh, faculty at Azusa Pacific, who's in a kinesiology program she was meant she's a she's working on her phd as well and i got to meet her and i was like hey have you had any trouble with the camera system and she was like yeah i had an emotional breakdown over the winter i think it's just normal so just 
I'm in that space right now, so I'm not meaning to bring up bad memories, but Jen was talking about how during her master's, somebody was asked her, like, how specifically do you define a runner? And there was a whole – there was a story where you define that operationally and somebody was not very nice on your (laughs) committee and they're like, well, whatever. So I'm curious, though, to toss that question back. How do you define a runner and how does Brooks define a runner? Because I think this is really important to talk about because I think there are stereotypes – that people either put on the image of a runner, and this can either be a positive thing about getting people active. I think it also can be taken negatively and scare people away. So I'm curious, how do you de- to define running and what is a run a runner? What does that mean for Brooks, and what does that mean in terms of run signature? Yeah, definitely. I'm super passionate on this one because I was definitely one of these people who felt like an outsider or like just didn't quite belong in in the running. Um, so for myself, I only started running when I was doing my PhD because I was looking at running injuries and I was like, well, I feel like I have to run if I'm going to look at running injuries. This is like, that would be totally as an imposter. So started running during my PhD. I was always like generally active, but I, I just hadn't really done outright running. Um, and yeah, man, I was like, gosh, this is hard. <laughs> this is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. It looks, looks so straightforward. Um, and so that was my exposure to it. But I ran on a treadmill. I ran three miles every single time. I did it in a half hour. I never had an interest change my pace. It was just like, this was the way it showed up for me. And I enjoyed it doing it that way. It was like a mental release. I liked being at the gym in that space. I like put some music on. I just, it was during my PhD. I could zone out all that stuff that gives you emotional trauma from the PhD and I just completely zoned it out and uh, I liked it that I just knew where I could go and that was the space and and when I tell people I ran on a treadmill they're like well it's not running and I was like I'm pretty sure it is (laughs) Mm -hmm. there's a flight phase so if you really want me to get biomechanics it's it's definitely running by a biomechanical standard of what run is compared to a walk um, but yeah, it was, I was on a treadmill. I, all oh, that can't be it. You know, you got to run outside. It was too sh- slow of a distance. I was like a nine and a half minute miler that I kept at that pace. I was fine with that pace. That was happy for me. And there was always just something that someone would pick at why that was then disqualified me. I was a jogger. People, someone called me a jogger or they wouldn't know what to qualify me as because just anything on a treadmill didn't make sense to them. They like didn't get it <laughs> or it would be. Um, and just working in even another industry space, I wasn't, you know, allowed to test product. I didn't run enough miles, even though I was like working in the space of testing products. So that was always felt weird. And going to Brooks, I never felt that way. I walked in the door and every way a run showed up for you. It doesn't matter if you do it at Orange Theory and you do it for two minutes at a time on a treadmill in the middle of a class, or you go outside and you do it for an ultra marathon where you're running the mountains in Mont Blanc or something. It doesn't matter how it shows up. It's that you're doing it as a part of your day and in any way that it comes in. So maybe that's really open and broad, but to me, that is really the Brooks definition of like, it's your run. That is what our whole campaign is now to really message that out to people. And it's truly believed within the walls, like not just a message that goes up on a billboard. Um, I feel it every day working there and it's who we study. We study how it shows up for all these different runners. So I can go much farther into like how we recruit and who we test product on and how we optimize for each runner in these spaces as well, but let Evan jump in so I don't just ramble through my whole like <laughs> being inclusive. No, I, I think, you know, I, I think very similarly um, before I jump in yet, yeah, like the run signature and everything of that sort, but it, it's something that is really special about Brooks's approach is really embodying all who run into the point of like run. It is just move or I'd even go further of like interest in the sport, right? Like 
I, I think of my dad, like he used to run all the time back in the day and whatnot. And, like he doesn't run anymore, but he's still announcing track meets and still you no know, watching all the stuff and like hanging out with the product and all that stuff. And so like it's it's anything related to it um, that I think is the beauty of it for sure. And yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, no matter if you're running fast or running slower, just have an interest in running, I think it has a positive effect on people, which is phenomenal to the point. That's really what we, what we try to touch on um, for sure and really try to reach everyone. It's, it's pretty special. That must also be challenging too, because I think more and you two are going to probably be even better at this than I am in the research world. But what, what, what what evidence is available that I get to see, and I know you two have seen far more data than I have, is that your everybody is a runner, but how you're moving is going to create very different forces, very different mechanics, and trying to build shoes that try to match all of that is must be incredibly challenging. It's like you know, it's one of the things that I, I was thinking about the other day is that. Is it really possible to build a shoe for everyone? Uh, I was going to jump in and say that's why the ghost is so amazing. I mean, you have, (laughs) seriously, you have people that are banging out 80 plus mile weeks in the ghost. And then you have people that to the point are walking in the ghost or they're jogging a couple miles and they all love the ghost across the spectrum. And it's, it's kind of fun to think through that lens. Yeah, exactly. Your question of it's very difficult, but and we're still sort of working to understand it for sure, but it's it's pretty special when you have a shoe that like, yeah, it's doing it. <laughs> and I think that's the important part of like when you consider for at least Brooks, the product line, that's why there are a lot of solutions. There's a lot of options out there. It becomes then the puzzle piece for us to help guide you to the shoe that would be most optimal for you at whatever way the run shows up for you at this stage of your life. And that might change down the line. It'll be a different shoe that might fit best for you. So the, the puzzle piece for us is getting that, you know, optimization translation out, but we, we build it. We, we know why we have all these different solutions and kind of the reaction in the market is to simplify. You want to make it as simple as possible, one solution, one-stop shops, then you don't have to figure out what each one goes to, but you're really not then solving for everyone. You'll be solving for the normative middle, but you're probably not getting anything on the bell end. So that that's where it just gets a little trickier in the translation. Hmm. Yeah. So now, now I'm stuck because I really want to dive into we, Evan and Jen. We before this we talked about the two areas want to go is how do we categorize runners, but I want to wait first and talk about what run signature is because I think that's something that's unique to Brooks at least because they talk about it. From what I there are. I think this is being done with other companies in various ways, but just not as overtly and probably not. And I can't speak for them because I don't know exactly what they're doing. I just know a lot more about what Brooks is doing. So can you tell us what run signature is and why that was important to bring forwards rather than kind of keeping behind the doors that a lot of companies will do? Because they're like, I don't know if they're sure what to do with it. Or if, again, it seems like part of it was going, how do we help simplify this and make things more straightforward for people? So before I keep rambling, what does Run Signature mean to each one of you? Um, So Run Signature, I like its biggest sense, is really an approach that encompasses all that is our guiding star, what we're doing at Brooks. But it is our promise to understanding the runner and all who run and optimizing product for you within that space. So it really is about, again, knowing the all and optimizing different solutions. In the method approach that comes out, how we actually quantify human movement, we lean into our belief that everyone has just a certain way that they move habitually, or what we would refer as the habitual motion path. 
that is based on a lot of things. It's based on your bone structure. We might have the same checklist of bones, at least at the start of our lives, that, that we have in our anatomy. But they're all shaped a little bit differently, and they then just inherently move a little bit differently against each other. Um, different ligaments might have lost some ligaments and some injuries as well. Ligament laxity that changes for some on a monthly basis, all these things that will adjust how the, the bones and ligaments and muscles move against each other. So what we want to capture is kind of what you're doing all day long, what you're doing when you're not running, how much does your knee rotate? How much is your ankle rolling in? What is that doing for the 23 hours of a day when you're not sleeping as well and just laying flat? But how do we capture that? And then what does it look like when you're actually on the run? So we know from um, about a thousand human movement collections in the last six, seven years that there are people that look very similar. Their knee rotates about the same amount on the run as it does for these habitual motions that they do all day long when they're not running. And then you have a group of runners where you'll see the knee actually moves quite differently, usually more so on the run than it does than what you're doing all day. And we've seen from a lot of our research that when you're closer to that habitual motion, when you stay close to what your body's used to doing all day, you have less force on the joints, you have better running economy. There's just a lot of things that come out that we've seen as benefits to staying close to that. So our goal is that if you're not living there already, or you're not there, you might be there at the start of the run, but maybe not at the end of the run, that we have product that helps guide your body movement back to its habitual motion. And again, we have a variety of solutions because there's not just one habitual motion path. There is definitely a variety of paths that we want to build for, but we still have to shorten it to some functional groups. We don't have the bespoke shoe stage where we're making unique individual shoes for everyone's motion. It's So it sounds like, again, this is very much, you know, from, and I, Jen, I'm sorry, I didn't know this. And I was like, wait a minute. I was looking through your, your research and I was like, wait a minute, the article that I cite with that Ben O'Nig I didn't realize you were a co-author on that. So like, I'm like, oh, yeah, no wonder. So, yeah, we cite, cite you all the time. <laughs> um, this it, is, Hopefully this question comes off the right way, that this is, this is directly inspired by your research and the research done on the preferred motion pathway as well as comfort filter, I'm guessing, just based on understanding um, that you have a – what was the term you used? There, there's a perception tester? Perception researchers are yeah. Perception researcher. I'm sorry. Yes. So you take both those into account, but it sounds like run signature isn't just what are you doing on the run. And this is something that's funny because as a clinician, this is something I think about all the time when athletes go or anybody right runner walker like hey you know my activity I'm having trouble with. And the first question we'll ask is well what are you doing throughout the rest of the day? Because people only usually think in terms of that movement and that activity, but what we do throughout the day really impacts that and whether that movement is normal to us, right? Like you said, that like knee mechanics, whether you move similar to how you move through the day, or is it something dramatically new and you're creating a very new stress that your body needs to adapt to? So you two, your your team is trying to capture that and go beyond just the run to go, what is your normal? What does that mean? And I think that's really important for our listeners and viewers to understand is Normal means something very different for each person. That's why, you know, we, when, especially doctors running, we're reviewing shoes. It's try to be really careful because each of us, we have different mechanics and we try to encourage our listeners, viewers, and readers to figure out who matches with who best, but also realize, take it with a grain of salt because our, the job really is to learn how you move and not necessarily how somebody else move, which is a challenge when you're trying to research that. Right. Because that's that's the variability in terms of how do we define operationally define this? What is normal when it's unique to each 
person which is giving me palpitations in my and mm-hmm. freaking out because <laughs> I am looking for consistency in my methods right now. I'm like, I don't think this exists, but my advisors are asking me to find this, so I'm just going to go <laughs> cry in the corner. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's all spot on. And that's like the part for us with the research space is getting out of the lab. I mean, what we can capture from you in the lab is is so limited from we can we do capture still your some of your habitual movements to help get an idea for that. But that's the real space to get in. And for us is the wearable tech that we can then get more of an idea of what you look like throughout a variety of your runs. So even from watch data now, as we partner with Dash LX, you see the big range of runs that people go through. Not me. I did the same exact run every single day on my treadmill. That was lovely. I would have been a very boring dot, but like most people have still quite a breadth of the miles they cover, the speeds they cover, um, where they're doing it. And then that off the run part in terms of, you know, I sit now for my job in meetings most of the time and I commute now. I moved farther north and I'm driving in. So I spent a lot of days sitting where I used to have a lot more movement involved throughout my day. And that will obviously change what my body's used to and is going to have an impact on how I'm running as well, inevitably. So that's just the really exciting part of getting out there and understanding all, all who run in their on and off experience. Hmm. Yeah. And I think Matt, you, you, you touched on it really well with, um, come from like the preferred movement path because the preferred movement path, you know, really is your body's going to take the path of least resistance. And so your preferred movement path can very much be dependent on the shoe you have on uh, based on the path of least resistance through that shoe, basically. Um, whereas the habitual movement movement path, to your point, is like you have one, one way your body kind of wants to move or you have a natural way your body wants to move. And that's what we're really trying to, one, just quantify to start but then benchmark against with how you're on the run. Um, and so that's kind of one of the really unique things we have with everyone that comes into the lab when they test is they have a set of habitual movements that we have them do just to figure out how does your, your lower body basically move in all these things that we think are natural, such as like doing a squat, walking downstairs, going for a walk and figuring out how you are you um, type of thing. And then obviously you go, you run in our shoes and we, we do a fun little comparison and that's how we uh that's how we benchmark our product um and it's it's it is really specialized because it's one where it's a new type of thinking over what it was for the longest time right of let's just limit impact force let's just limit e-version and you know we know over the years that they can be important um but it's not an end all and so it's kind of that new train of thinking of how can we really really try to understand do something different but really rooted in good theory as well and as jen mentioned we have we have good convincing evidence that's working, um, and we really believe in and really believe in that push forward um, and helping thinking that's a way to help protect runners. And something else you mentioned, Matt, you had asked about Brooks, um, or I think alluded to us, like publishing more or basically sharing more. It's not like locked behind high door, uh, high doors, mm-hmm. not hidden behind locked doors. Yeah. Um, and I do think that's an extremely special thing about Brooks. When I first started at Brooks, they were publishing so much. I was kind of my first question to someone was like, oh, I'm surprised you guys publish. I feel like everywhere else, even when I interviewed at some places, they wouldn't let me see the lab because I was like, okay, what like fancy thing could be in the lab that you won't even let me see the equipment if I'm like applying to work here. Um, and Brooks is very open. Brooks does tours for basically... <laughs> almost anybody who really want to come and get a tour. Uh, but the publishing on that end and, and the response I even got when I first started out of the curiosity of like the sharingness of it was it's a win-win. If someone did take what we were doing and add to it, 
then ultimately we believe in it so strongly that this would be a win for us and it would be a win for the runners because we we passionately believe that this is going to help runners in the end. So if someone takes it and adds to it and does it even better, does more, fantastic. If someone does it and opens it up more, that gets even more attention. We know that we're really going to continue to be leaders here because we believe in it so strongly and we're putting the resources towards it. It's not just, you know, a marketing gimmick on anything. So brought attention to it, which is going to bring attention to us. So everything about it felt like just a win and you want to collaborate and work with others. And if they take it and run with it, that would be fantastic. So I'm always really impressed by that behavior and attitude at Brooks as well. And we're trying to get some publications coming out. Evan and I are putting back on our publication hats, which we hadn't done in a little while out of academics. And a little trauma comes back when I, you're like, I wrote a yeah. manuscript this last <laughs> week, Matt. <laughs> it was, wow, uh, I was, I was telling Jen the headspace of going out of product meetings to manuscript writing and back into product meetings, back Very into manuscript weird. writing. I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> It's different. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in the revision, the second revisions of a systematic review right now. I'm just looking at both of you, like I don't know how you <laughs> did this, and going. I know I want to keep doing this somewhere in the back of my brain, but like, man, this is hard. I'm like, I wish people understood how difficult research is and how much time. I had no idea as a clinician, like I had a teeny bit, but I'll go to see you doing like your work and then go, oh, I'm going to publish on top of this. It's a lot. So please, everybody listening, give give them some credit. This is hard. So I want to I want to ask a tough question here. So when we talk about preferred and habitual motion pathways, one of the things that starts to get muddy in the clinical world and in the research world is figuring out what might defining what might be a good movement going, hey, this is natural and normal and this is fine. And then also a problematic one, because one of the comments that one of the issues that we run into is when we say, quote unquote, natural, sometimes a natural movement may be good. Sometimes it may not be good. One of the challenges figuring out, is that responsible for a person's injury? And we know injuries are multifactorial and you've been trying to define those and the, the risk factors is hard enough. But how, and I don't know if you could tell me at Brooks, how have you worked with that going, how do we define what might be good? What is, are there even good mechanics? Let's just start out with that. Like are, are all mechanics, biomechanics necessarily good? When we talk about natural and preferred movement pathways, what are we solving for? <laughs> You're going to get the like science answer back. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's my hypothesis or research question. <laughs> I think also, so one clarifying like word for me that's distinct is we we say habitual, not natural, yeah. pretty specifically as well. So habitual <clears throat> is habit. I mean, that's out of habit, and that can change. My habits now in this time frame are these things, and maybe two years from now it's going to be very different. I had a baby two years ago. My habits are very different right now than they were two years ago. So, like, I'm sure that my habitual motion changed in these last two years, as an example. Um, so, generally, there's that. There's not again a belief that I don't think we believe there's like a natural quote unquote way or a normal quote unquote way. There's still just like what your body is used to doing all day at this moment in time, and how often does that change? Can we can go into a bigger topic with that too. Um, but your point of like, if there's good or bad ones, I don't think, again, I think that what Evan's getting at is like, it's depends on the person still for a lot of things. You guys as doctors are more of an expert than Evan and I are in really identifying like very, probably usually very bad movements where it's like, that probably doesn't benefit anyone very often. But like, as an example, um, I always use my husband, he's going to be on everything known to man, but he has osteoarthritis and his big toe and he can't bend through his big toe and like, it just doesn't matter what he's done. He's shaved down, shaved down the bone. It will come back. And so for him, it's kind of just now it is habit. His, his toe will be like that. 
And for him to stay active, he needs a rocker forefoot to let the shoe just transition for him. Um, because if he bends his toe, it's really painful. And if you were trying to get him to flex his toe, it's kind of like a moot point that really is just you. So you're trying to help him achieve what he needs to do to stay active because he's still extremely active by compensating for what is going on with his feet at that stage. Um, would that be like something you want for everyone? Do you want to lock up the toes for everyone? No, it, we're not saying go out and like this is a solution for everyone who comes into it. So that comes back to the space of like, what are you dealing with? What's in front of you? What's the best thing that's going to work for you right now? And this is how we'd help guide you into that product space. It's probably like not super blunt answer. Mm-hmm. I feel like I usually. No, it's great. This is how you know those two have their PhDs done, and I don't, <laughs> as I keep using the wrong terminology. But this is great. So it's the key is my mistake is I'm using the word natural, and it's really habitual, right? Is it's what do we tend to do? And then trying to operate to define that as good or bad is a moot point because. From a clinical aspect, right, we've all all the current evidence, even though people are still trying to do this, it, it really and I students hate when I say this is it depends, right? So a habitual movement for somebody might be something that they are, even though it might look weird, might be something that they go on to win an Olympic medal with, whereas somebody else that might be a problematic movement. So it's really going to depend on each individual person, which where run signature comes in going, what's the unique signature of that human being. And again, not saying this is me reinforce this in my brain. So I stopped saying this and don't ever write that again. Um, it's not about the, it's not the quote unquote natural. It's the habitual thing. What is this person doing and how do we, I'm hesitating to use the word support because I know a lot of people use the phrase support in terms of stability, but how do we facilitate maybe is the better word, their mechanics with what they seem to be doing on a normal basis, as long as it's. Yeah, exactly. Is that, is that correct? I mean, that, yeah, it, it's correct. Um, kind of the idea is that's exactly what we try to build our product around um, is you know, minimizing how much different you are on the run based on how you are moving uh, habitually. Um, and kind of to where you, uh, I think you're going a little bit with it as well. Like if you're injured, though, you got something going on like that needs addressed. Um, but, you know, if you're able to run and stay healthy, then that is the goal is keep you moving as habitually as possible. Um, and how can you be in a product that either, you know, supports that or guides you back to running that way? Um, not to use the support word, but supports that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's the challenge with injuries, and this is what I've been really working with on both my students and the residents and fellows I've gotten to work with, is that when you're injured, those mechanics are usually completely different than what your normal thing is. So a lot of times you'll have a clinician. I'm sure you get to have experienced this. Somebody's injured. They come in. And you're like, oh, well, you move like that. That must clearly be the problem. It's like, wait, is this? are these your natural mechanics? Are these your habitual ones? Are these the compensatory ones? And so injury stuff is a totally different ballgame. You have to you know, be very careful about is this your normal stuff? Is this habitual or is this some other mm-hmm. problem, right? So that must – so I'm, I'm guessing that's why we have to be really careful is when we include injured – individuals in research or do you do you guys do research on anybody no there's too many not currently we actively recruit uh, injury free for most unless there was mm-hmm. a really specific use case where you're trying to understand it so if they're to the point of maybe that like four foot rocker and you did want to show that this can help offload in yeah. in certain cases then we have like subspaces where we explore that but um the majority is done on like a, a, a quote-unquote healthy Right. uninjured, actively uninjured. Right. Mm-hmm. 
it's one of the challenges I'm running into right now with my with my research is you get you're more likely to get published if you have data on injured individuals. That said, they are very challenging because you don't know why they're doing yeah. that and if that's mm-hmm. normal. Um, yeah, for anybody at APU, if you see the small dents in the biomechanics lab all right next to the computer, that might be me <laughs> from just. <laughs> but all all head pounding aside, so that that goes into my next question, right? So we know people are different; they move differently. They have like their movement pathways can be as unique as a fingerprint. So the challenge now goes like, hey, if we're we have a we can't make a billion different shoes, right? Because we know that different people are going to respond differently to shoes, and trying to match that can be challenging if we don't operationally define types. Of runners, And we were talking about this a little bit before, so I'm curious because I can see people trying to do this and there have been some kind of extremes of like either you're this or this, right? The most common one that people are most aware of that drives me nuts is the heel striker versus forefoot striker, right? Just assuming that the only thing that's important in running mechanics is a single joint or a couple joints at the foot and ankle, right? So people have been trying to categorize runners and individuals for a long time. How how do you how do you categorize runners and or can that even be done? Um, yeah, I'd say the the starting way that we do it right now is the concept of low deviator and high deviator. Um, and so, as we been talking about the habitual motion path, a low deviator is someone who their joints move very similarly on the run to that habitual movement, and then a high deviator is someone who moves very differently on the run, and we want to guide their joint motion back. Um, so right now we have low deviator, which then you think, all right, you're probably going to go into a neutral shoe. And then you have the high deviator. It's like, all right, let's put you in one. We call it GTS or go-to support shoes that have those extra support features to help guide you back um, to your habitual motion path. Uh, with what shows up with that insight into our products, those are the two right now. Um, but, you know, some other key areas to really think about. Um, it does tie in a little bit to foot strike, but if you've heard the terminology uh, aerial versus terrestrial runner. Um, so, you know, are you kind of, you stay a little lower, you know, strides along, you tend to rear foot strike, but it's not the only defining thing. Or else you have your, you know, aerial runner whose thing is your, your bouncy gazelle, right? Um, very different all around mechanics. Um, and then, yeah, you know, people where it's, you know, when you start thinking about, you know, speeding up or slowing down, do you take, do you do, oh, well, Stride length or cadence? Like, which one are you increasing to speed up or slow down um, to everything? And so there's a lot of different types of groups that you can think of. Um, And then even back to, like, that concept of support, you know, when you think of strong couplers versus weak couplers. Uh, So, you know, how we think of it is, you know, you have obviously motion distal to your ankle joint complex. That rotates your tibia should do something paired with it, but... Some people, it's a very strong coupling. Some people, it's a weak coupling. And so what a product does at your foot and ankle is going to show up differently at your knee and how that influences there. Um, and so all these different ways of, you know, where, where do you exist and call it a bucket? But we really know it's a spectrum. Um, that's what we're really trying to, to understand. Um, and I'll let Jen Cha hop in with a little more since she scopes wider than I do. Kind of comes back again to still what the question is you're asking or like the purpose of it. So like, for example... When we're looking at watch metrics, we've had thousands of runners that have been willing to share their watch metrics with us. And if you're looking at categorizing people based on the pace of their runs and then the distance, and you're considering all their runs in the last like four months, you're still seeing a pattern in in how their their training looks. Then you see injuries might be different 
because of just how they're literally running. So how that run is showing up for them. But then you'll also see different patterns in like, we've started to call like the lovingly the metronomers. It's like you run the exact same like distance every single time, but you do a big variety of pace. And then, but you'll have like five different distances that you do. And so you see these like straight lines of data as you're looking at like someone's runs compared to like those shotgunners who just do a little bit all over the place. And that might come into the like, okay, it's how you're running, but it may be a bit of why. Are you running the same routes? Do you live in an area where like, these are the three routes I always want to run? Were you like me always on the treadmill? So I would just have been the same. That's just why I show up that way. So in terms of understanding the runner and maybe even barriers to their run or motivations to run, you might see it more in some of those other types of patterns in terms of where they tend to be running. We can't see where they're running, but like they're always running the exact same distance. They're likely doing the same route like the exact same one or they have like five other routes that are all three miles each would be possible but we're using those patterns to understand that runner in that way as well would you would you want more routes would you want to have more options in your run if we gave more of that through our run club to give you ideas of of how the run could show up differently for it would you want it or is it like no i do this for a purpose this is like competition for myself. I break my pace. That's what I'm always looking at. So it kind of comes back into wanting to understand the runner, not just like what I could capture, how they showed up, but maybe why they're doing it the way they're doing it. And can we do anything that would help connect them with other people like them or provide educational content that would help them? I know for myself, if I would, if I was running outside, there's limitations for me personally, time of day, I don't want to run when it's dark out, don't feel safe. I have regions I don't like to run past in my neighborhood. There's areas that don't have sidewalks. Edmonds is really weird. We have a lot of areas with no <laughs> sidewalks. I'm like, who designed this? What is going on? Um, so I'm like, I would love a pathfinder that just gave me a sidewalk, well-lit, pretty active area that I would feel more safe running down. And if you gave me multiple routes that I could do that, I'd probably run outside more. But otherwise, I have to figure it out, and I don't want to, so I'll just stay on my treadmill. So just like thinking through services of things like that that would help runners experience the run either helping them continue to do it the way they love it or opening them up to other things, but they have barriers that are keeping them from getting there. So that's the other way we've been starting to kind of understand different types of runners. So you're taking, if I, if I can summarize this, you're taking one of the ways you, some, you categorize runners is the deviator and non-deviator in terms of their, their habitual, their movement pathways, right? And ha- is there something we can do to help facilitate that better or not? I'm hearing the, the, Evan, what was the terms you use? The uh, aerial versus terrestrial. Area versus terrestrial. Cause I know there's a couple other companies that use some slightly different terms. Yeah. I'm, not, mm-hmm. I'm trying to make sure you use the correct ones. So area versus terrestrial. There's also the stride versus cadence stuff. And you're taking all this into account, but then also sounds like you're also taking the motivation and psychology into it, which that went a totally different way. So my brain's going, <laughs> I don't, I know what systems equation modeling is. I don't know how to do it, but that sounds like that's what you have to do to bring this all together. But it's, it sounds like you're, you're really trying to understand not just, Hey, how do these individuals move, but also why are they moving right in terms of what their motivations are? Are they limited? And that's not something I would have necessarily thought about from a footwear development perspective that's something as a clinician i think about in terms of motivating people to get more active and going what what avenues do you have is your neighborhood even safe right why do you choose the same route is that something you have the flexibility to do or as jen as you mentioned is this run it's not just a hey i'm going to exercise this is your one moment where you have control over the environment and it's this time when you actually have some stability 
mentally, which is very real for a lot of people, what does that look like creating a product to facilitate that? So it's a very interesting thing to go beyond biomechanics and go start looking at how what's happening here influences that. So that's a very different avenue. How – I don't even know where to begin. How did, you, how, did, how did that come to be? And how do you integrate those two? Which that probably is a 40-hour conversation <laughs> of itself. I'm just not sure how to – I'm it's honestly I'm not sure how to ask that yeah. question. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to ask that question to be totally honest. So maybe you can translate my – my baby brain, my baby PhD brain, who doesn't still doesn't know how to ask great <laughs> questions and still learning. But there's a lot of these. So even for the ones I said, the watch ones, those just came out of us getting access to watch data. And you were just noticing some of these patterns and then starting to wonder why they're happening. And then again, it's say it all comes from that. The To me, still, everyone that's working at Brooks, the runner is at the center of it for them. And you are just trying to make them have the best experience they can have. And whether it's because of the product part of it or the mental part of it that everyone knows is a very big lift within the, why a lot of people run. Um, but besides even our team, back to that kind of mental aspect, we have a whole other team called Run Sites, which is another 15-ish people within the brand. That's a different group than our group, but they're all on this mental side. They try to get at like why you run, why you don't run, how it shows up differently. You might look at trail runners compared to road runners and like how that eventually comes into product. Even if you're in a trail space, you you still hear a lot about what is a barrier for somebody. And, and I can't like give you a good example now that of course I have to <laughs> like run sites to several projects all year round that really does guide like a direction you're going in and maybe still like your motivation part, even though the product isn't directly attached to it at that stage. So I just say that say it's not even only our research side, but the brand that that's doing a lot into getting into the mind of the runner to to really understand them the best because if you do we'll succeed on the other side of whether it's products or services what we want to help them achieve evan you probably were this better than i did that was my ramble no i i think you did great yeah it's um it's all in exploration right now as well right like we're always learning how do these things show up and everything and i do kind of what jen was saying you know we get a lot of it just from data we acquired um and so we're figuring out how to make that start showing up and everything and uh, when it comes to a lot of these larger concepts and you know a lot of that will come back to the original point of like the collaboration side and you know what stories resonate with marketing with product line management and all of that and you know where can we really bring forward so we do have really unique benefits to runners with what we are able to show up with for them um you know kind of always having that that key intent behind it for sure yeah and the brooks run club i'm not sure how much um advertisement that's come out through but the brooks run club that's going to be a lot more about connection. It's about making connection with other runners, finding other runners that you identify with. Cause again, there is this massive spectrum of how the run shows up for everybody providing content, educational content. Um, that'll be a big outlet for us in terms of where you'd see some of these things come through as well. In addition to the, the products that we're creating. So that, that makes me curious. So this is going to, hopefully we don't go down too deep of a rabbit <laughs> hole. So one of the areas I did not pursue specifically for my dissertation, but one of my interests from clinically is understanding pain science and people's perception of not only their bodies, but how our understanding of pain and our, our like our own bodies is we're just beginning to get this. So there's some great research that's coming out on depression and pain levels and how you can actually see that and how people hold themselves and how it affects their movement patterns. 
So my, I'm, have you looked at and that I'm assuming that's why you're looking at some of this too, in addition to knowing, Hey, how do we make better product for people based on what their needs are? That must create a challenge knowing, Hey, knowing that our moods, knowing that our beliefs, knowing how we're perceiving the world changes our movement patterns. How do you factor that into developing a shoe, right? Because that's another variable that I'm now, – now that my brain's going, oh, I've just <laughs> realized this in terms of development, in terms of how we understand the human being in front of us. It's not just, hey, they've got this unique movement pattern, but this unique movement pattern also will vary depending on moods. Like Jen, as you mentioned, going, do I feel safe in my environment, right? Your mechanics are going to change because going into a protective mode is very different kinematically, muscle activation-wise, posturally, then I feel great. I've got a great sidewalk. I have this nice running path. I don't have to worry about that. How do you begin to think about that other than just taking that data and going, all right, so we've got something to start with, but I can't even begin to make the connection between how do you develop a shoe with that knowledge? I get super excited in this one. I said, Jen loves this one. Prepare for the rabbit hole. (laughs) Yeah. Pull me back out and stop me once I'm rambling through these. But um, I love the mental side of it because I really do think like, again, as someone who like never fully always finds a super happy space on the run, it always feels really hard for me, but I'll feel a very big difference from my one run to the next, even though my runs are exactly the same, it'll be very much impacted by the rest of my mood and how good that day was. And and the PhD was probably always a pretty low mood. Thank you for validating but, this. Um, but I mean, research wise, it you, you have to start by like caring about it, like being interested to even understand it. So, you know, the, that data doesn't just show up in front of you magically. So like you have to plan it very purposefully into your study designs in terms of what you're even trying to remotely understand. And so like, for example, we don't, our in-house research, um, is quite heavy, but we also partner with our external collaborators. So we, we're partnering with Indiana University at the moment, and they're actually doing two big studies for us that are looking at these mood states. So they'll have people come in on repeated runs. So it'll be in a lab space. So that's one like lab space one, but they'll still fill out a full mood-based survey to understand how that was. And then they're going to look at an extended run on the treadmill and see how yeah kinematics and your motion changed. And if there was any link with the mood that you noticed there. Um, and you'll already see some interesting things of just like the exact same run. They start with the same physiological start and end points of why they did the run distance they did for a very controlled study. But they're seeing very different physiological reactions from your heart rate, very different times of when they hit that end point of the run where they stopped earlier um, and linking it to like what the mood was that day. When it comes into product, um, like just some ideation spaces, but how you even just like, okay. Or my brain. If they're like how you stride it out, or like if you're going to land really far back on your heel compared to just even a little bit flatter, makes a totally different underfoot experience because all those geometries that are designed in that back lateral heel can are meant to collapse so that they serve like a car crash and kind of absorb all that impact at landing. Ninety five percent of people land back there, so. If you're really hitting farther back, you might crush through it too easily. Now all of a sudden, this shoe that used to feel pretty soft is feeling pretty hard. And because you crush through it and hit the ground essentially on the other side of it. So when we think of like, how do you personalize product through a geometry space? If you did start to understand like what tends to happen with a mood is you start to either change your stride length or you're changing what your cadence is. And which either one of those you're seeing a change in that they're landing a little flatter. They're not everting as much at landing, inverting as much at landing. And they're probably not going to crush you that compound as much and then it won't feel as soft. So you start to think about how you would change your geometries in the back heel 
So that still feels soft, whether someone's going to land pretty far back or somebody forward. And then if you're going to guide them to a certain shoot, sorry, my son's trying to break into the room. So as I didn't have headphones for this call, and you say the noise will be terrible, I will totally blame, blame my two-year-old. Um, so those are some of the spaces. But the initial question, yeah, you, you need to be interested in it to bring it into your study design to even start in a way that you can use the information on the other end in a way that's that means something. Otherwise, there's a lot of very terrible study designs you can do where it doesn't translate to absolutely anything, let alone knowing how to make product from it on the other side. So it sounds like it's just it's being aware and planning this into design, but it seems like the concept of run signature, it goes back to the concept of run signature is going, all right, so we know people might have a habitual motion path, but that can vary. And how do we help facilitate that regardless of what's going on, which just hadn't been thought about before is we know now that your mood and your mental state and a variety of other factors can influence that. How do we also account for that level of variation while not making a shoe that feels like it forces you in that direction? Mm-hmm. So it's just adding, it's just going, hey, we know this. How do we, we factored this in, understanding that may cause some additional variation. And the fun part is, what kind of variation does that cause? And the solutions are hopefully already there. Like I said, we, we already make a variety of solutions and now it just comes to that recommendation bucket on the other side. So you might be, you know, for you, when your mood state is, like this, you tend to start becoming a higher deviator sooner in your run. Whereas if your mood state is like this, you stay a low deviator for a really long time. So like if you're feeling away a certain day that the mood state would indicate you might become a high deviator sooner, you might need a guide rail product for that day. And a neutral product might serve you on the good mood state days. So like that's more like the recommendation space rather than we need like full-blown new solutions. It's just you did run like this type of runner and now you're looking like this type of runner <clears throat> because of this mood state, but we have solutions for both. So here's just your guidance spectrum. So it's moving beyond, I think one of the older ways of thinking, and those of us who worked and run retail many years ago probably know this of, hey, you're either neutral stability category, which unfortunately still seems to pervade. What it sounds like what we're moving towards is less of let's put you in this camp, but more of, hey, you know what? Shoes are tools. If you know your body and you know how you vary, one day you might need this product, which tends to maybe help facilitate you if you're kind of deviating a little bit more versus you, we have this other product that this tool for when, hey, when you maybe don't need that as much or you need something else. And kind of going back to what we've talked about is shoes being tools and kind of going, how do we help the runner understand when when one might be more appropriate than the other? And now getting people more aware of, How's your mood going to affect this is just another way to go. This is just the variety that you have is because you're a human being. And so how do we help facilitate that understanding and teach people to be aware of that so you can keep enjoying running? It's not to panic people go, hey, you're, you have this mood, you're going to get injured, but more of how do we keep you enjoying this as much as possible, even though we know it's hard. It Running is hard, right? That's just... I, I've had so many people and patients like like start running and they're getting active. I'm like, this is really hard. I'm like, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, but sometimes you... They're like, but I see some people look like they enjoy it. I'm like, no, they're fake. <laughs> but I think Evan's a not figure. I feel like Evan's oh, always man. Yeah. Age is kicking in. I I've got the I've got the opposite where I look like I'm dying and people are like, Are you should you be doing that? And I'm like, Yeah, no, I'm feel it looks it's great. I'm like, that's not how that looks. Like you look like you're dying. I'm like, Well, a little bit, but it's like a positive. Yes, it's an dying. enjoyable one. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Death. Yeah. Um that's really cool. So it's being able so 
sounds like one of the things that's really cool about Brooks is you're going beyond not just, hey, here's a product, but how do we educate people and how do we make better decisions and help the runner learn more about themselves, which is the whole reason what we we do what we do. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm curious to know, and I don't know if you can say this or not. We might have to edit this out. So you're going through understanding how psychology can impact movement and how to account for that. What's kind of the ne- what's the next step if there is one? If you're still you're still looking and researching this, what do you think is the next step in terms of going beyond, or maybe even combining psychology as we as it as a human race seem to be much more aware and accepting of mental health and understanding the variations that happening and redefining what's normal? What's the next step in integrating that? into footwear like is that something we make this huge deal about or is it something that kind of seamlessly slides in again i don't know if i'm asking this question very well but how do we integrate this concept better yeah i think you can take that one with all the dash lx and the iu stuff and kind of the planning there yeah i was well i feel like i've been talking the whole time so i was like evan you, you i'll, I'll talk about geometry stuff after how about that <laughs> yeah. yeah um yeah i mean the immediate uh, maybe I won't answer this fully accurately. The media next step was again, still how do we get out there to capture that information from a yeah. very wide scope of people so that we're not in our own echo chamber, you know, working with a small subsample and like totally blinded by the mass population out there with this, how wide that spectrum actually is. So like in terms of us, what we're even focusing on still in research wise is to be able to get out, to get out with the runner in an easy space that they can be engaged with us. So whether it's very passive that you just openly decide to share your watch data with us, which is really beneficial for us to help identify and connect you with these different patterns we're noticing based on folks that are similar to yourself from what we can tell from a watch um, to more active engagement because that's very passive. So how do you also, if you participate in Run Club, but make it a two-way street you know it's not just here we give you content end of interaction but like what is our journaling or diarying that we could have you engage with um, someone a human on the other side that can take these learnings and and really maximize that space um because even when i think about something like my apple watch i mean it gives me trends. It's just like you're very classic. It's going to find all the things you've done. It's going to tell you a trend. It tells me if my steps have gone up or my steps have gone down. And usually I'm like, yeah, I know. I was sick. <laughs> Needed a week off, man. Give me a break. <laughs> like it just like points it out to me. Um, and I usually in those moments wish it somehow knew me as a human. I'm like, can't you like tell that I'm sick instead of like making me feel bad that I didn't move this week or something? So to me, there's this like that part of the devices. It gets kind of creepy and scary, but to like really connect and understand what's happening with you. Um, Brooks can't do that immediately. That's obviously very big tech, but it's still the the immediate one is getting out so that we can connect with as many people as we can. So we know we're building for all. We're not in that space, but I don't know, like the next immediate one after that, you're going to have me puzzling on that and knowing I'm going to walk. Good. If I can ask a question that initiates another question, but that's great. But it sounds like we're, we're still in the data collection phase, mm-hmm. right? We're aware of this. Let me nerd out for a minute. We've got our introduction. We've got our method section, but we don't have the data necessary to really make any kind of conclusive statements on how this really goes yet. So we still have to collect that data. And then when we analyze it and fully, then we can maybe start generating some additional questions. And that's kind of where we're at. We're aware of it, but there's some cool next steps of going, how does how you feel your mental state impact your running mechanics? And then how do we start making footwear 
to facilitate that, right? It's this other factor we're now aware of that we might be able to take into account, especially as it might we can theorize in terms of injuries or deviations or what have exactly. you. And I, I think your question kind of feeds into it um, well that you asked just a little bit ago of like, is this going to be something new or something? Yeah, this kind of seamlessly feeds in. Um, is that is, yeah, that, that's kind of where I see it personally of like, all right, say we do find out that uh, to the point, say you're in a dark neighborhood and you are running, say with like, you know, a stiffer leg or stiffer ankle knee joint. And that's just kind of a reaction of what you're doing. Well, we have, we can dig into lab data and be like, all right, people that do have higher knee joint stiffness or higher leg stiffness, or how did they interact with these types of products? Or, you know, people that just say we find out different contact times in general, how do they interact with the products differently and everything? So it's kind of that what we learn from there can really, to your point, influence, do we need follow-up questions or does it kind of fit right in? And where, where does that go? Because we have to the credit, a lot that we can learn from just with how many people we bring into the lab and being very purposefully um, intentional and having a large variance, um, for sure. So it sounds like it's, hey, we actually might have that data. We just need to look and then make sure we're asking the right question. And do we have, first of all, the which the first follow-up question is, do we already have the data? Can we look at that and then see what patterns are happening and start maybe seeing if we can match that better? Basically. Yeah. Again, whatever, whatever awesome. we learn outside of the lab, we've got so much. We can probably start getting buckets of runners um, from people we have in the lab. And then just kind of really, really intentionally sift through with good questions, understand what's Sweet. happening. This has left me with a lot to think about. Hopefully our, our viewers and listeners also with the same mount. And I'm hoping what people walk away from this is understanding how complicated this can be. And a sh- the shoe you see in front of you isn't just a shoe. Right. It's literally someone's a group of people's baby that they've put all this work into doing their best to go. How is this going to facilitate runners mechanics? Also, how does it, you know, from the marketing team, how do we make sure this thing sells? Right. There's this whole team that goes into it. So it's not just randomly done, but also the thought that goes into this. There's a lot more that goes into footwear design and development than just, hey, how do you move? Right. And we're beginning to realize how much more complicated this is. And fortunately, we have the tools now to analyze some of that, but it's just processing that understanding it. It's just this lifelong process, which is pretty sweet, which means you'll never be bored. <laughs> never <laughs> bored. Right? Never it's the same thing I'm telling my, my, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. tell my students as clinicians. They're like, the moment you think you know everything, you should probably quit because <laughs> you're going to hurt someone because you really don't because everything changes every few years. It's like you just have to be ready to adapt with that. And it seems like that's kind of consistent no matter what industry you're in, especially when it involves dealing with the human being. Definitely. So, yeah. So my last question for both of you, if you can share this, I'm curious what big – if we haven't touched on it already, what big question is rattling around in your brain in regards to footwear? What's not been answered and it's bothering you right now? This is my equivalent for those who have listened before yeah. of when people would ask – if this shoe was a sports team and then I sit there panicking, not knowing what to do because I don't follow a sports team and everybody else has their answers. Like I'm trying to ask these challenging questions to get people to think. It's for the, the OG listeners. I did that to poor David the other day. And I was like, if each member of DOR was a shoe, who would it be? And he was like, uh, so for those 
Go listen. <laughs> now I'm gonna really think of that one. If I was a shoe, what would I be? Oh man, yeah. that's the difficult one. He 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 gave me the Prime X because he think, thinks I'm far too complicated. <laughs> and too much going on. <laughs> so like that's fair. Okay. Oh man, <laughs> that's amazing. That is a very complicated shoe. Also, I was. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um. Oh, that's a good question. I'm like, I'm so excited about the stuff we're in the midst of answering, but I think they are unanswered at the moment. So I kind of feel like, well, it's probably a cop out answer to be like, well, it's unanswered. No. But the, I love where Brooks is going with the breadth of who they're engaging with and understanding to point not just you on the run, but off the run and your mental space that's there. And I don't think that that's talked about anywhere else. If another brand's looking at it, it's behind the locked door. I don't know, but it's not really brought up in the conversation. I feel like the conversations are usually still very focused on pinnacle, fastest, elite athlete. That's kind of like the main story that comes out of most places, I feel like. Um, so I, I'm, I'm much more excited to understand the full community and getting away from this like very niche area. We tend to like flash the light That's on the answer. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great answer. Oh man, now you make you feel guilty for staying on like the science brain side of it a little bit. <laughs> no, that's yeah. there's no judgment. Oh, no judgment. <laughs> I was going to pick your brain anyway. You were going to say something. I interrupted you earlier on geometry that I was. Gonna oh, we, we could do an entire on, yeah. podcast on geometry. Is yeah, that the truth. I'm probably going to pull you both yeah. back for that. Just FYI. Oh, please do. If you want to come I back after all I put you through for the last knows, hour, I will talk about geometries all day. All day. Um, but I would say with footwear. <laughs> Well, one thing I'm really passionate about is high school running. Um, and I think just the idea of like what is really just an amazing, like call it a single arrow quiver shoe that, you know, high school kid of any ability, whether they're, you know, banging out sub two 800s by 400 workouts, doing insane 10 mile runs or the kid that like they're jogging a mile at 12 minutes type of thing. Like just what is a shoe that could be great for them, whether across all things of aesthetic to fit, feel, ride to, you know, helping support for what is worth a skeleton that is not fully developed. And so there is different layers of injury risk that we don't fully understand yet. And obviously they have everything going on hormone wise. They have everything going on novel training load wise and everything. And so I think it's, um, that's an area I think is incredible because it's such a formative point. That's really when I personally fell in love with running even more than I already did. And I think just knowing like the awesome experience that footwear can help from just an ex- literally the experience of having it or just that protection standpoint or getting you jazzed for the run. Um, I think that's an area I'm really excited about to if someone to dig in further. Yeah. That's sweet. I will share based that. So I'll, I'll, since I threw that at you, I'll throw, I'll, I'll toss one in the ring. Speaking of changing body and hormonal responses and things we don't understand. One of the areas when I was at um, combined section meeting, which one of the, the big, USPT conference uh, a couple a month or so ago, uh, there was a phenomenal lady whose name I am blanking on at the moment. I feel so bad, but she's one of the few people in the world that's looking at the biomechanics and movement patterns of postpartum runners, which has not been studied at all. And I say that, that as very for the needed. listeners, <laughs> yeah. the, the listeners who don't know, I'm going to be a dad soon um, and have a little girl come. My wife is six months pregnant um, as of this podcast. So as a very motivated and professional athlete, not knowing what's going to happen and knowing some clinical stuff, but knowing, I don't, we don't know what's going to happen. Her mechanics because nobody's done that research. We don't know 
how people consistently respond when you have that change in hormones. We don't know, as we mentioned earlier, the risk factors for postpartum depression, how that might affect that, how we facilitate keeping people active and easing them back into such a traumatic change, right? That's, I think, where my biggest question is at the moment. And uh, my poor wife has has been such a, a test subject for all my biomechanics testing. And she's like, no, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm like, but I, there's some data we could do right this now. Is the like, most critical. like I can get a case I'm study. I'm not doing this. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this would be great. She's like, no, I'm not doing this. So when I, off topic, when I was doing my developing like the protocol for the, the strength testing, the dynamometer stuff, she'd be in the corner come visit, go, joining me in the lab on, on the weekends and I wouldn't be able to get anybody in. So I'd be doing it on myself, trying to reach to go hit the start button for this like high level isokinetic strength testing and then getting stuck and going, help me. And she's like, nah, you did this yourself. <laughs> that's just being a good so, wife. <laughs> yeah. That's just, that's her revenge. Even though I'm trying to go, Hey, we could get a case that no, forget it. So that's my big question is we really know bodies are changing and they change not just, you know, throughout the lifetime, but there's some significant periods where we see change, be it, biomechanical, hormonal, or even mental, right? And I think that's really cool that we're starting to be aware of this because I feel like biomechanics is very important, but only looking through one lens is problematic. It's like when we look at imaging, one of the things that I've, I've consistently heard from a lot of the people that I work with that can like radiology stuff is one view is no view. If you're only looking at one view, you're going to miss a lot of other stuff. And it's not that we're trying to make this more complicated, it's we're just trying to understand this better. And unfortunately, life is pretty complicated. We can try to simplify this down to go, hey, we've seen these patterns of runners. You might fit into this. Try this. See if it works for you. But this is life. It's yeah. complicated. That's well, super well summarized. And like the crazy yeah. thing about pregnancy and into postpartum too is it's still so different for everyone. Talk about being like yeah. the predictability of it Individual. is just not. <laughs> it is not right. there. Um, and it's dramatic. It's dramatic. Well, nine months feels forever when you're doing it. But it's it's still like crazy what your body goes through. So it's a really, that's a really bad. Okay. Yeah. You changed where my brain yeah. is spinning into yeah. the yeah. next. So even though my wife does not listen to these podcasts, I do want to say, I do appreciate her and support her, <laughs> even though I am the one, not everyone experienced it. So hopefully maybe she'll listen to one of these and go, Oh, that was nice. That was great. <laughs> Jen, Evan, thank you so much for being on. Really appreciate your time because I know you guys have very busy schedules and spending a Sunday night, which for the listeners and viewers, we record these on Sunday night. So that can be a challenging episode. So it's always appreciative. I am definitely going to request you to come back on. But for right now, thank you so much. For those listening, there's many different ways you can listen to this. We have a podcast that drops every single Wednesday uh, on whatever medium that you like best. Obviously, it comes off on Spotify, iTunes. We also have this set up on YouTube and usually split it up into digestible chunks. We have tons of stuff coming out, some phenomenal guests, including these individuals, coming up very shortly. And we're very, very excited to continue to share with you what's going on with your body, try to help you translate that and figuring out, hey, running-wise, football-wise, what might be some things you can learn to make better decisions. Thank you. Appreciate you listening. Thank you.